One of the most controversial topics of our day is the topic of truth. Though it may not always be the theme or topic of every conversation, most, if not all, of our divisions and debates of today finds its focus centered around truth. We are constantly dealing with questions of who or what is right or who has the right to impose what is right on others. We constantly, church, see it in the news, on social media. Even now, as I am before you, I am up here proclaiming the gospel, and I am working to persuade you of its truth. You hear me speak about truth many times, church, because truth is of great importance. But church, why is it that truth is so important to us? Why do we spend so much time debating over it and trying to get others to believe it, church? Well, I believe that the reason why we do these things, church, is because truth determines action. Once something has been deemed true, it requires you to do one of two things either accept it or reject it. And its validity, church, elicits action. Action that becomes the basis for how we relate to each other and how we relate to God. This is why for many, church, truth becomes a barrier as, as many desire to relate to others based on their feelings rather than truth. Rather than truth itself, they argue for a, a perception of truth, church. But the truth of the matter is, no pun intended, or maybe it was, that in a society where we are called to live together, relative truth, church, does not work. There must be some moral agreement. There must be some moral truth that societies are built on, church, a morality that you cannot escape or dodge, but rather something that you must accept or reject. Something that determines, church, what is right and what is wrong. Where actions have consequences. Consequences, church, that we will eventually have to face regardless if we reject or accept truth. This is why truth matters, church because it is what we build our lives around. It is what develops, church, our worldviews, our systems and ways of life. Have you ever thought about what would happen if mathematic equations were relative? If we decided, church, that one plus one equals two was only true based on how we perceived it, our whole world, church, would fall apart. 
our whole system of thinking, of, of living, of producing, that all finds its foundation in that simple equation. Almost everything we do and say is affected by that simple truth. The food we eat, the house we live in, our bodies, how they function, the medication we take is all focused around the simple equation of one plus one equals two. If we made that relative, <laughs> how would we function, church? If we just took that simple equation and said that we have the right to decide whether it is true or not, our whole world would fail to function. This is why truth matters. This is why there's no such thing, church, as a society that functions around relative truth. For that type of society, church, will be a society without morality, and it will cease to be a society at all, but it will be anarchy. A world where everyone does what they please, where all that matters is the individual and their truth. What brings them pleasure and makes them happy. Where their only concern is about themselves, where they disregard the dignity and value of others. And this is the world, church, that many are fighting to have today. A world where they can do what they want where they can be who they want to be and live how they want to live. But the question that we must wrestle with, church, is what happens when, when what you think or feel is true collides with what someone else thinks or feels is true? What happens when that person comes to your house that you've been paying on and says that it's theirs? What happens when the truth of one with a twisted mind puts someone in your family in harm or danger? This is a question that many societies have wrestled with for ages, church, and it's why we create rules and laws that govern us, rules and laws that are centered around truth, rules and laws that are centered around morality, rules and laws that are created and upheld by those who are, are called to govern it with their authority. Those who will be fair and just. Those who will not only think about their needs and feelings, church, but will think about the society as a whole. Those who who will not uh, uh, be impartial church, but those who will judge rightly so that our society will function in a right way. Church, this is why truth is important. And this is also why the question of who has ultimate authority is important. Can you imagine what it will be like if we lived in a world, church, where those in authority disregarded truth, 
where those in authority govern based on their feelings and desires rather than truth. Church, you don't have to imagine that question very long because that is the exact thing that we see today in our society, church. As many go to Fox News and CNN for truth, as they look to their political parties for authority, many are following leaders and are giving authority to those whose perception of truth is skewed. Those who have a partial view of truth based on their desires and what they want to be true. They utilize their power and authority to fuel their agenda for their own glory. And though we think that this church, our day, is something new, let me be one of the first to tell you if you haven't heard it before, there is nothing new under the sun. This is the very thing that we see in our scripture today. And this is what we will see addressed in our text, as the religious leaders of Jesus' day was, was leading in this same way of impartiality, was, was leading with this, this same fuel to get their own glory and feed their own desires. And as Jesus begins to lead the people to a more true way, his authority begins to be questioned. They question, church, his right to judge. They question his right to rebuke. They question his right to uphold or not to uphold laws and traditions. Laws and traditions, church, that they have deemed to be true. Their ways, you see, finds itself in contention with Jesus' way. And they are forced to now deal with truth. As we jump into Matthew 21, verses 20 through, 23 through 46, we find ourselves in the midst of a dialogue as Jesus' ways and actions have disrupted these religious leaders' system. Jesus has challenged their laws, he has challenged their traditions, and he has essentially challenged their authority. These religious leaders have been completely frustrated by his disregard for their authority. And they decide to challenge Jesus by questioning his. And so we get there in verse 23, where it says, that when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And, and who gave you this authority, Jesus? This questioning, church, of Jesus' authority comes on the heels of a series of actions done by Jesus that these religious leaders have found to be most disturbing. We saw at the end of chapter 20 and at the beginning of chapter 21 that there, there is this, this great procession with Jesus as he is traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. 
As he traveled, there was a, a great crowd of people who, who followed him. And as, as they followed him, church, it says that they were worshiping him. Or at least worshiping. They were ascribing glory. As it says that the people spread their cloaks before him and they were shouting things, church, like, like Hosanna to the son of David, which was a sort of messianic title, church. And it says that because of this, the whole city was stirred up asking, who is this Jesus? And as he entered into the city, he enters it church with great authority as if the people praising him wasn't enough Jesus enter enters into the temple and and with a great fury he goes in and and drives out all of those conducting business in the temple in fact John's account says that he took cords and he he tied them together and and he drove the people out with a whip. This Jesus, who has been teaching this, this contrary way, this Jesus who have been receiving these praises, this Jesus has now gone into the temple and he overturns tables and drives the people out. And it says that the 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 blind church and the lame flocked to him. And as they flocked to him, he heals them with great power. And as he heals them, it says in chapter 21, verse 15, that the children even cried out. The children saw these, these wonderful deeds. The children cried out. And they shouted, Hosanna, son of David. And as they shouted, it says that these religious leaders, church, were indignant. They were furious. They were beside themselves as these children were ascribing praises to Jesus. They were thinking, how could you accept such praises? They said, Jesus, do you hear this? But rather than rebuke the children's praises, Jesus affirms them. Using scripture to justify it, church, as he says in verse 16, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Jesus is alluding to Psalm 8, where it says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Jesus uses a psalm that speaks of glorifying the name of Yahweh that speaks of ascribing him great glory. And he uses this to affirm the praises of these children as they are glorifying him. And then Jesus just walks out. 
It says that he left and went out into the city. Jesus essentially leaves them with some scripture and goes back to the hotel and goes to sleep. And as the next day comes, Jesus enters the temple again, which is his custom. And he begins to teach the people. And though there was no further conversation the day before, these religious leaders have just been waiting for this chance to confront him. They have had enough and they decided to approach Jesus by questioning his authority. And they make sure that there's a big crowd before him as they challenge him, hoping that he would indict himself on some sort of blasphemy. But rather than indict himself, Jesus accepts their challenge, church, and he indicts them as he poses to them a series of questions. They find themselves face to face with the reality of truth as Jesus says to them in verse 24. I will tell you by what authority I do these things, but first you must answer my question. Jesus begins his, his indictment on them by first posing a simple question. Not in avoidance of, of answering their question, church, but he asked them a question that, that has embedded within it the very answer that they are seeking. But rather than answer that question for them, he poses his question to them that forces them to not only deal with his authority to do these things, church, but to deal with the reality of the truth about who Jesus truly is. These Jewish leaders are hoping to continue to give the people their perception of truth. They hope to give a skewed perception of who Jesus is, but finds themselves face to face with truth. As Jesus says to them in verse 25, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? These religious leaders you see, always found themselves in contention with John the Baptist as they refused to accept his call for confession. They refused to heed his call for repentance. And now as Jesus poses this question, they are faced with the reality of what they truly believed. Are they going to be honest about their rejection of him? about the rejection of his ministry and his baptism? Or are, they, or, or, or are they going to deal with the consequences of their disbelief? They quickly realize that as they are before the people, that this simple question for them does not yield a simple answer. For the people believe, church, that both Jesus and John the Baptist were men of God. They have been giving great praises to them and for them, and they have benefited greatly from both of their ministries. And so now these religious leaders find themselves face to face with truth. And rather than deal with truth, church, they look to avoid it. 
And so it says that they, they huddled together. They came. They said, hold on. There's a group just like you guys. And they like, wait, Jesus, hold on. Let, let, us, let us talk about this. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Jesus, with great wisdom, accepted their questioning of his authority. And rather than give them the answer that they hoped for, he, forced, he forces them to wrestle with their own hearts. He forces them to wrestle with this question of, 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 of his authority in their own hearts. And he calls into question their ability to assess truth rightly. He calls into question their ability to exercise authority as they are being led by their own self-righteousness, as, as they denied true repentance while all the people recognized their sinfulness and was baptized. They rejected it, church, and walked away. And now they're forced to deal with the consequences. The consequences of rejecting John as a prophet of God they're forced to deal with the consequences of rejecting Jesus as doing the work of the Messiah. And they must deal with the fact that they are themselves guilty of doing the very thing that they're trying to accuse Jesus of as they have been blaspheming the Lord. You see, they have been ascribing John and Jesus' work to Satan himself. These religious leaders, as they huddle together, are like many today as they work to find an answer that escapes the reality of truth. They fight to evade it in hopes that they will help not be held accountable to it. That they would not be accountable to the one who upholds it. Therefore, many today deny the truth of who Christ is, and they deny his authority over their lives by giving the same answer that these religious leaders give in verse 27. After much discussion, they give their response, and they reply by saying, we do not know. Rather than honestly deal, dealing with the consequences of their disbelief, rather than truthfully dealing with the sinfulness of their hearts, church, they tried to avoid it by claiming to be ignorant of it. Many in the world today carry on in their lives, living as if they simply do not know as if they simply do not know the truth about who Christ is. But Romans 1 does not let them off the hook, church. It tells us that their denial is, is not because of ignorance, church, but it is more so because they are looking to suppress the truth. It says even though it is plain to them. 
But as we have already said, church, truth requires a response. And trying to avoid the question by saying that you simply do not know is truly a response in itself. One's actions and the way that they live their life many times will speak the truth about their hearts. And y'all must be sleepy this morning, but it's okay because it's about to get even deeper. (laughs) Even as they work to avoid this truth with their lips, they must face the question of who Jesus truly is in their hearts. And we all are faced Not only with this question about who Jesus is and the truth of it, but we're also faced with the reality of the truth about our sinful hearts. As everyone will have to give an account. Jesus does not owe any of us, church, an explanation of who he is. Jesus does not have to defend his authority to anyone, for as Romans says, the evidence is clear. This is why I believe he does not answer this question for them, but he he forces them to deal with it themselves, as they already know the truth, church. Jesus' admission to to who he is and to to the truth about his, his authority in this moment would not have changed their hearts one bit. For they have already made their decision to not believe it. Therefore, rather than give them a verbal response, Jesus gives them a picture of reality as he shares with them a parable. A parable, church? that continues to expose them and their disbelief. Even though they refuse to be honest with their lips, Jesus wants them to know that their actions says it all. Therefore, he says to them in verse 28, he says, what do you think? In other words, tell me what you think about this. He says to them, a man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. And Jesus, and and as Jesus poses this, uh, uh, as Jesus gives them this parable, he leaves them with his second question. He says to them, Which of the two did the will of the Father? Jesus gives this this simple illustration, church, and then he poses to them another simple question. But unlike the last question, church, that they they, uh, uh, evaded or or refused to answer, for this one, they're all raising their hands. They They have an immediate answer. You see, their self-righteous hearts have blinded them to Jesus' indictment on them. And and with no hesitation, they agreed that the first son did the will of the father while the second did not. They don't realize, church, that Jesus is describing them and their actions. 
They don't realize that they are the very ones who have denied the will of the Father. They have rejected his, his messengers and have rejected his call to repent and believe. And they have rejected the message of John and Jesus. But yet they continue on as if they are servants of the Lord. They claim to be living for the Lord and upholding his rules and laws. They say that they are living uh, by his authority, but they truly are living to serve themselves and their own authority. As they have created their ways, church, and their laws. And, and though they said that they are following God, they are truly in their actions and in their heart denying his beckoning call to them. This is the true issue, church, that they must deal with. And this is the question, church, that we all must wrestle with today. And I am not saying that you should constantly question your salvation, but what I am saying to all of you before me is that we must truly check our hearts, church. We must be honest with ourselves about what we truly believe and have accepted. As Jesus uh, tells us time and time again, that it's not enough to just say it with your lips, but that it must be something that you believe in your hearts. This is why he says in, in chapter 15, verses 3 through 9, as he responds to their questioning him about following their traditions, he says to them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honors me with their lips, but in their hearts is far from me. He says in vain worship, in, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commands of men. Or how about in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, as he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many righteous works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is constantly pointing them to their hearts as the central place where we must deal with the truth about who he is. We can create facades and outward appearances to avoid dealing with it, but internally there is no escape. Either we will accept it or we will reject it. 
That's why Jesus responds to them in verse 33 by saying, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. Jesus, once again, church, forces them to deal with truth as their hearts are truly telling of their sinfulness. Jesus makes it evident that the truth is plain to them as they can clearly respond to this parable. Yet as those who suppress the truth, they can't see how they are those who it truly speaks of. They refuse to see the folly of their actions even as Jesus has plainly laid it out to them. This church, this daunting reality of the effects of sin is now before all of us. For Jesus says there will be many, not a few church, but many who will say, Lord, we did these works in your name, but truly in their hearts, they never knew it. And he never knew them. They will realize on that day that their works is not enough. That their self-righteousness is not the standard, but that it's only by believing the truth of who Christ is and submitting to his authority that they will truly enter into his kingdom church. Though these tax collectors and prostitutes in this world were seen as the lowest of the low based on their standards, Jesus says these men and women will go in before these devout religious men. Not based on earthly status, church, but based on repentance and faith. The very thing that these religious men refuse to recognize and do. Church, I've counseled brothers and sisters who claim to follow Christ but refuse to recognize the sin in their hearts. I've witnessed to unbelievers who deny Jesus and his authority. Many of them have, have refused to turn from their wicked ways. And much like these religious leaders, they have denied the truth of the gospel. And so I must ask as I stand before you, is this you today? Have you become comfortable in your self-righteousness? Have you become secure by your proclamation with your lips? Are you one who, who have worked to deny this truth, believing your skewed perception of it? Let me tell you today, if you don't believe this word, this gospel, there will be no place in the eternal kingdom for you. 
Not only will those who are looked down upon go in before you, but you will find yourself facing a much greater fate as you're left to deal with the truth about Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Jesus gives them, church, one last parable and leaves them with one last question that makes evident the consequences of their rejection of him, that makes evident the consequences of their refusal to repent. Jesus begins his last parable in verse 33 as he explains to them how there was a master of a vineyard. It says that this master brought in workers or tenants to tend to it. And he provided for these workers everything that they needed to work it, that they might produce an abundance of fruit. And he leaves this vineyard church in their care, and it says that he goes away. And as the season for fruit approached, the master sent his servants to the tenants that they might get the fruit of the master. And as the servants came to them, it says that they decided to beat stone and kill them. Rather than deal with their fruitlessness, they reject and killed the servants to where the master then finally sends his son, saying they will respect his son. But instead, they recognize that he is the heir and they plot to kill him. And they plan to steal his inheritance and make it their own. And so they decide to throw him out of the vineyard and kill him. And after telling this egregious parable, Jesus poses to these religious men one last question. As he says to them in verse 40, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And just like the last question, church, these religious leaders are quick to answer. Remember, they are the upholders of the law. And you can almost feel their self-righteousness in their response. As they with great contempt call these men wretches. And they call for the master to put these men to a miserable death. For them once again, the answer to this simple question is clear. And once again, church, they fail to recognize Jesus indicting them on their faults. They fail to examine themselves and their hearts, and they fail to see that, that they might be these miserable wretches. These men, church, are experts in the law who are supposed to be of great wisdom. And once again, they have failed to see Jesus' point they even failed, church, to see how the connection between this parable and Isaiah chapter 5 points to them as those who caused Israel to not only remain fruitless, but led them to produce wild fruit that displeased the master 
as they failed to lead justly, as they failed to obey the law and his rules, as they failed to uphold his law. They didn't protect the people or lead them to righteousness. But instead, they used their authority given to them by God for their own gain. And as the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to them, calling them to examine themselves and their hearts, calling them to repent and believe, they rejected him time and time again. They, as those miserable wretches, made Israel their own and ruled based on their own desires and their own skewed perception of truth. And Jesus uses this parable and this story from Isaiah 5 to make clear to them this very thing. Listen to what Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7 says. It says, let me Sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for my vineyard uh, to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it when I looked for it to yield grapes? Why did it not, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its edge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hold, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. Isaiah says, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. When he says outcry, he means cries of despair. Jesus takes this story or this prophecy of Isaiah 5 and he uses it as a way to point them to their injustice and unrighteousness. For they are to blame for the wild grapes growing up in the vineyard of the Lord. They have made it their own, and the Lord has removed his righteous protection from it as they have ruled it by their authority and not his. They have usurped his authority and have stolen his vineyard for their own glory. And Jesus allows these, these religious men to tell of their own fate as they have rejected his prophets and even now 
are plotting the murder of his son. He uses the very voice of a prophet to make clear the evidence stacked against them as they have denied and rejected his prophets. And they also, church, have denied and rejected him and his authority as the chief cornerstone. And so he says to them, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits and the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus, church, leaves no ambiguity to the reality that they are now facing. But he makes clear that he is speaking of them. He says, therefore, I tell you that the kingdom will be taken from you. He accuses them directly and he agrees with their assessment, church, of what they are deserving of. As they have denied John and have rejected him. Psalm 118 tells us that, that this cornerstone church is the one who, who is the gate to righteousness and salvation. And Jesus makes it clear, not only will those who have rejected him not enter into his righteousness and salvation, but they will not enter into his eternal kingdom. But also, he lets them know that this action of rejecting him will not be without consequences. But he also will have his vengeance against them. As the scripture says, he will crush them. Everyone will have to give an account, church. I know this isn't the message you were looking for this morning. For he will avenge his righteousness. He will punish all who reject him, all who reject his truth and authority, all who live for themselves and their own pleasure, seeking to steal his glory and his authority. They will have to face his wrath. He will call them to justice. He will right every wrong and deal with every injustice as many deny him and deny his truth. He will deal with them, church. He will deal with all of these pastors and leaders who are defaming his righteousness, all of these preachers who are preaching false gospels and who refuse to heed the call of his word. They will have to face his great wrath and he will have his day, church. He will have his day, unbelievers. But until that day, he gives you every opportunity to hear his, his truth and believe. He gives you every opportunity to repent and turn from your sin. He is patient and his love, church, is steadfast. He is merciful and true. Will you hear his word today and believe it? 
as you are faced with the truth of who he is, as you, as you are faced with the truth of your sinful heart and the truth of eternity, will you believe? Will you believe that you might be like the tax collectors and prostitutes as they enter into his marvelous kingdom? Or will you be like the religious leaders who heard these things and rejected it, condemning themselves as the truth was plain to them? There's only two choices, church. We must all answer to the truth of who he is. Therefore, I pray this morning that if you don't know him, that, that the precious Holy Spirit might truly illuminate this, this simple word for you. That, that the glory of our Messiah might be truly revealed to you. That you might see the great power of his cross as he laid down his life that your sinful heart might be forgiven, that you might be blinded from your sin, that you might be free from the blinding of your sin, and that you might truly repent and receive eternal life in him, entering into the true righteousness of his kingdom. I pray that the Lord would do that for you this morning. If you don't know him, find someone. Find someone who you know, who you can trust and ask them about this Jesus. This Jesus who comes to you with a gospel that is true and wonderful and glorious. You don't have to remain in your sin for any longer. But this could be yours today. Pray with me this morning, church.